Welcome to JLab, a podcast from the Civic Journalism Lab, a forum for professional, student and community journalists in the northeast of England to meet, learn and collaborate. It's supported by Newcastle University. My name's Ian Wiley and the focus of this episode is COVID-19 and how journalists are meeting the challenges of reporting this crisis. A little later on, we'll hear from Stephanie Murray, who is director for the Centre for Cooperative Media, and she'll be telling us about some of the ways news organisations are cooperating and collaborating together to ensure their audiences get the vital news and information they need during this time. But first, to Italy, one of the countries hardest hit by the coronavirus outbreak. Nico Piro is a foreign correspondent for TV station TG3, and he has reported from the conflict zones of Sierra Leone and Afghanistan. He covered the Ebola epidemic of 2015 and most recently the refugee crisis in Greece and in France. But now Nico is reporting on the crisis inside his own country. I spoke to him about how he is using the mobile journalism skills he learned abroad to report the impact of COVID-19 at home in Rome. At this point, I should have been uh, somewhere uh, uh, out there. I mean, uh, that was the plan uh, three weeks ago, going to Kabul to report about the ongoing peace process. And instead, I'm um, covering news in Italy. I'm going to the, to the next door market, market, to the open market, the farm market in my neighborhood. And it seems a big task as has uh, never been. What, what is different about covering the coronavirus crisis? Being part of a foreign affairs desk, I could have stayed, I mean, in my own uh, comfort zone. I uh, stepped up, I mean, I volunteered to work in Italy because, as you can imagine, uh, the national affairs staff was uh, under pressure. I felt like it was the, the good thing to do. I found that my, my previous experience in uh, covering crisis uh, could have been useful to uh, work in this type of situation. Mainly on three fronts, three topics. Uh, first of all, the technical side, because uh, this is the typical situation where you want to work by yourself. The virus can be everywhere. I didn't feel like going around with the cameraman. I never go out with a cameraman when I'm, uh, when I'm deployed abroad. I do everything by myself and I feel happy about that because I'm, uh, I feel more uh, secure, it's safer. I can hit the target and exfil, I mean, getting out as soon as I can. Uh, I have the, the total control of the production process, so it's harder. Uh, you work a lot more, but everything is better at the end of the day. In this case, in Italy, I could have worked with uh, with the cameraman, but I wanted not to do so. I wanted to be myself by, by myself because it's safer. Because with the cameraman, you spend hours and hours every day. It's like your brother. So this can increase the risk. Second, again, and it's like being in a in a crisis area. So being less evident. In this case, not in terms of uh, being kidnapped, let's say. Because when you are in Kabul, you don't want to look like a foreign reporter in the streets. 
because this will turn you into a target. Uh, but here, in this case, being by yourself with a small camera uh, helps you to blend in, helps you to put less stress on people uh, who are already under stress, because everybody are under stress. That's the second chapter. The second chapter uh, to me is uh, psychological. You are getting a lot of no, even if you go in the streets, I mean, uh, trying to get box pops from box pop from uh, people queuing in front of a supermarket. You enter in a, in a store and there is a lot of stress because everybody are afraid that your camera can take picture of something which is not in the proper uh, setting. Let's say people are not one meter away or uh, the, the personal um, uh, protection being worn by, by clerks. So there is a lot of stress. and. Uh, you need to be very, very, uh, I mean, the less invasive you can. So having a small camera helps you, helps you a lot. Being by yourself helps you a lot. Uh, just think about vehicles. I did a story about taxi drivers, and uh, now it's almost impossible, according to the rules, to have three people in a car. The driver, the cameraman, and the reporters. So working by myself uh, made everything easier. There is also a third factor which came handy, I mean, was useful for me uh, considering my background, and it's the tactical approach. Usually, when you are in Italy, when you are in a safe country like Italy, like the UK, uh, and you have an assignment, let's say, about uh, people going to shop food, uh, you go out, Maybe you, you, you go to a first supermarket, you don't like it, you go to the second one, you go to a third, you wander around, you look for the best, uh, the best light, for the best building, the most crowded one. I mean, uh, you don't have a strict plan. Instead, when you work in crisis area like Kabul, uh, like Afghanistan, you have to decide in advance, you have to plan everything. It's a tactical approach. You have to plan your route, you need to know what's your extraction route. You need to know what's happening along, along the route. Uh, you have to know everything about the target you are, let's say, going to hit. So this is very useful now because you want to stay the shorter time possible in the streets. So you decide in advance what you want to do. You plan it. You go there. Uh, you do it as fast as you can and you get out. Let's say that now we are not just working on, on the, our usual deadline. I'm uh, planning carefully everything because I don't want to waste time in the streets and I don't want to make mistakes. So this is very important. From my previous experience, I took these three lessons. First of all, uh, simplicity in terms of a technical approach of production, pro production process, so it's a one-man show. Second, it's a psychology, the way you deal with people. Uh, the way you interact with people who are under stress, and even if it doesn't seem so. And the third one is the, let's say, tactical approach. Planning, hitting the target, feeling. I mean, getting out and uh, trying to minimize the risk. A vederla così questa nevicata d'aprile metterebbe quasi allegria se non stessimo guidando tra amatrice e accumuli verso Arquata del Tronto, i tre centri più colpiti dal devastante terremoto del 24 agosto 2016. In terms of uh, gear and equipment, I'm using the same stuff I use uh, abroad. Mirrorless camera, which is very small, 
it's it's not uh, heavy so uh, uh, the weight gives you extra hours you can work longer uh, second uh, my phone my phones honestly two iPhones which is uh, which are very handy uh, when you have to do things where there are restrictions or mm, you want to shoot pictures in places where a camera or a tripod will get too much of attention. And I'm using a GoPro too. Uh, of course, the best part of GoPro is that, as I did in the Ebola epidemic, you can throw it in the in a, in a bin with water and uh, and bleach and and that's it. My company issued a rule, so we can't use body mount um, body mount uh, phones. Uh, sorry, body mount microphones. So once I will use, I, uh, I would have used uh, like a lavalier, radio lavalier, but uh, I stopped doing that. So I'm using um, a boom, a boom pole uh, with a di directional microphone, uh, which is something totally new uh, for uh, the new sector here in Italy. In fact, was I have to say that it was very hard to find one uh, because it's not that type of, um, it's not like a memory card. It's not a, a bestseller. So it's a very, very, uh, it's a niche uh, gear. I'm very used to find emergency solutions. The real problem is that after five minutes, if you use a broomstick or a, a stick, yeah, man, your, your arm starts screaming. Now, finally, I have a boom pole and I have to say that I'm very happy. I'm working in Rome, in the center Italy. I'm not in the epicenter. There are colleagues in Lombardy, in Veneto region, and they are they are in the eye of the storm. I mean, for them, it's very very hard, and they uh, really deserve a lot of respect. I mean, the story I mostly I'm mostly working on are uh, the same stories uh, I usually work on abroad. I'm, I'm focused on the last ones, on the on the people living at the edge of society. So, uh, so I did a report about uh, homeless people. And I did a report about uh, people uh, in, uh, in central Italy uh, who lost their own houses because of the earthquake in uh, 2016. And now they live in uh, uh, temporary shelters, temporary, let's say, houses in quotation marks. So this is, this, these are the type of stories I'm, I'm covering. I'm following the U.S. news every day, and uh, I have to say that the main difference between Italy and U.S. is that uh, in U.S. the main topic is uh, economy. Here we are more focused on uh, the loss of life and uh, how can we stop that. I am focused on people uh, who were vulnerable people before the epidemic, and now they are more than that. They are in a worse situation than just three weeks ago, because the, the weak one now are the weakest. When we finally emerge from this crisis, do you think we as journalists will go back to doing the same things that we've always done? I, let's say, imported uh, mobile journalism in Italy four years ago. And since then, I have been training uh, a lot of colleagues with the Rome uh, Press Club uh, and in Rome and around Italy. 
And we have um, a mobile uh, journalism festival, which, which is called the Mojo Italia uh, in Rome in September. So I am, let's say, part of a group of people who are very focused on changing our, the way we work. Honestly, I think that this crisis put in evidence something that we can't keep on thinking that this job, I mean, our profession has to be done by different figures. I mean, I don't know if it works in English. What I want to say is that I think we, we should be more scalable. We should be more scalable, more flexible, uh, which means that every journalist should know how to film, edit, and deliver. I think that mobile journalism is not a solution to every needs of the, of the everyday uh, business, but uh, it's something that every journalist should know because it's the base layer then you want to go out to do a documentary so you want to have a bigger crew that's good but of course if you know how to film and how to edit you will interact better with your cameraman and with your video editor but if we start being more scalable it means that in emergency like this we can go out we can do our uh, our shooting and our editing and deliver our piece and that's okay and we are safer and we are faster we are more efficient this profession will change uh, only if we'll be ready to look forward and not to look uh, behind us not trying to get back to as everything it was but to take the reign of the change I think that this is what we have to learn from this crisis, that life can change in a matter of, uh, of days. And we took for granted our peace. And you can find out more about the mobile journalism festival that Nico mentioned at mojoitalia.it or by following them on Twitter at mojoitaly. Tonight begins what could be the most critical and difficult week yet in the war against coronavirus. across the Journalists are finding themselves under huge pressure during this crisis. The job of reporting the spread and containment of the coronavirus is of life and death importance, and yet many news organizations find themselves under-resourced, under-appreciated and under threat. From Montclair University in New Jersey, Stephanie Murray runs the Center for Cooperative Media, and she believes that working collaboratively is not only the best way for news organizations to report this crisis, it may be the only way they survive. New Yorkers have been diagnosed with Prior to this, I worked in newspapers in the United States for 15 years. And today my job is supporting local journalism. And so we have two main programs um, in the state of New Jersey. We run a collaborative, an ongoing collaborative called the New Jersey News Commons. That's our flagship project. And we provide support for local journalists throughout our state through all sorts of different means. We do training and professional development. We do some small grant making. We raise money as much as we can to support journalism. Um, we run collaborative projects and much more. And then nationally and um, even more so internationally, we also study collaborative journalism. 
we're the only center in the, in the world that, that does this currently. Um, so we study and advocate for collaborative journalism, which is journalists working together um, across company lines on um, different projects and programs and topics. And that has taken up a lot more of our time recently than I ever anticipated because collaborative journalism has been growing quite a bit around the world. We actually started studying collaborative journalism because we were running collaborative projects in New Jersey and we just wanted to improve them and needed help and started reaching out to find out how other people were doing it. And it just evolved organically from that. But they're very intrinsically tied because most collaboratives in our country start at the local level. Most of them are local news um, initiatives. We see far fewer national collaboratives. We don't live in normal times, clearly. So what are the specific challenges that you're seeing news organizations, local and uh, maybe otherwise, are facing when they're trying to report this particular crisis? This is a crazy time. <clears throat> it's a terrifying time. So, uh, of course, journalists are dealing with safety issues. That's not something that they normally deal with on a daily basis. Safety issues in terms of how they report, how do they get together um, when they're discussing stories, um, how many reporters go out, does the photographer and the reporter go out together? So many just very basic questions about the functioning of the act of reporting is a huge challenge right now for news organizations. Um, they're making decisions that could get people sick. They're putting their, you know, some of their staffers out on the front lines. But that's also necessary in many cases because journalists are digital first responders. They are essential workers because information is critical in a time of crisis like that. So that's one issue that we're dealing with that is just not normal. Other reporting risks, um, mis- and disinformation is huge right now. So First Draft News is really trying to combat that, but we've been hearing this quite a bit from reporters on the ground who we work with and that they are not only working against broader mis- and disinformation campaigns that we've seen, especially in the United States, tied to elections that have been going on you know, since 2016 or probably before. But now they're seeing mis- and disinformation campaigns that are specifically around the coronavirus. Some of these efforts are so deeply seated that they have a hard time in even their own communities um, communicating facts um, or being trusted. And that's really amplified right now because of what's happening. Um, because if people don't believe you when you're giving them facts, it could kill them. It, it, it's not like, you know, it, it might change their decision in a political race. It could kill them. And so that's just a huge challenge that reporters have to navigate. And then also there's just the information overload and burnout that we're dealing with. There's so much news happening all over that journalists really have to focus on their core audience and really, really focus on what are the critical information needs that the people I'm serving have and how do I fill those needs. Why do you feel that a cooperative or collaborative approach is the right one at this point in time for meeting those challenges? We're seeing all sorts of different kinds of collaboratives being formed around the United States right now. We are seeing collaboratives that are formed around story sharing, for example. We're seeing quite a few of those. And that's really helping with the information overload in some cases. 
and that there's just so much happening around the coronavirus that news organizations can't be everywhere all at once, um, especially if they have reporters sheltering in place. And so more news organizations now are openly content sharing. And so we're seeing that in Philadelphia. We're seeing that here in New Jersey. We're seeing that in Colorado. We're seeing that in New Hampshire. These are all states, the United States, where there are ongoing collaboratives that had already been structured. So that's one critical place where collaboration can help. And that instead of having everyone trying to cover the same daily briefings, you share that content. And as you focus on local stories on a local level, share that content around and up. Um, and that helps spread the burden of reporting. So we're seeing collaboration really make a difference with content sharing. We're also seeing collaboration make a difference too with um, just thinking about critical information needs and ideas and responding to what audiences want. So Resolve Philadelphia in Pennsylvania here in the United States is one of the most um, innovative collaboratives that we've studied globally. They have a very laser focus on addressing issues of inequities in their city. And they have started, they already had a group of, of news organizations working together, and they have a very active Slack channel where they're constantly discussing story ideas, talking about ways they can work together. And that is just being played out in so many different areas. It, um, they're working together to cover briefings. They have they work together on um, a framing guide to help people frame their stories, to think about economic impact and language that you use to talk about economic hardship. They produced a language guide. They've also started a texting campaign where they're um, asking folks to text into a specific number with the questions they have about the coronavirus. And then that whole group of news organizations is working together to get those questions answered. Um, those are a couple examples of of, of innovative, but really impactful and really useful ways that collaboration is helping. Going forward, I really think that collaboration is just going to continue to be critical because while newsrooms are usually good at reacting quickly when there's an emergency or a catastrophe to cover, uh, most of us are pretty good about that. Covering a sustained ongoing response to a crisis just needs a different structure. And that's where I think that collaborative efforts can really make an impact because this is not something that's going to end in the next couple of weeks. This is going to be ongoing for months and months. For news organizations that aren't used to collaborative working, how do you go about that first step? The first thing that I usually tell folks is that really think about who you're competing against. You're probably really not actually, in reality, competing against the other local news organization in town. You're really competing with social media platforms. You're competing with people's phones and all the apps they have. You're competing with WhatsApp. You're not really competing with a lot of the other news organizations if we really, really deeply think about it. The people who remember who reported a story first is probably just you and your other journalism colleagues. That's just not how audiences, that's not how residents, that's not how real people view the news through the lens that they view news today. So that's the first thing that a lot of journalists who are still working in highly competitive environments need to understand. There absolutely is a place for competition, and I would never advocate that competition is um, bad for journalism. I, it's, it's, it can be good in so many ways, but there are times and there are topics where it's not needed. This is one of them. 
This is absolutely one of them. We're in a crisis. We're in a pandemic. People will die if they do not get accurate information at critical times. And so now more than ever is a time to to think about the ways that you can partner to help get information to people, critical, important information. And we do see that that catastrophes or times of crisis are times when news organizations do tend to be more willing to work together. So I would encourage news organizations to think about think about something small that could have a big impact on what you do and help you do it better and um, help serve your audience better. Maybe it's by pooling coverage of briefings. Let's just start there. So there's a collaborative in New Hampshire here, the Granite State News Collaborative, that's working on that. There's a Spotlight PA that's serving that role in Pennsylvania here, where instead of sending 10 reporters all to cover the same briefing, They're looking at splitting up that coverage so that they can cover more ground and use that pooled report. That's an easy place to start because a lot of journalists are used to pools. They understand what that means. Looking at ways that you can share your content is something else that's an easy place to start because most collaboratives that succeed, succeed because there are good relationships between the news organizations and especially between the editors and reporters. And, you know, doing something like a pool or sharing your content is a good baby step. It can help get information to more people and it can help you start to develop those relationships that you'll need when you start to do deeper collaborations. I hope that when we look back, we look at this as the defining moment for journalism around the world. I hesitate a little bit because in in the United States, especially where I live, but I know this is happening in many other countries, there is so much polarization and so many people who believe something so strongly that they might never believe a journalist for the rest of their lifetimes. But putting that aside, I really hope that we look back at this moment and say, wow, that's when journalism changed because that's when people realized that journalists are first responders. They are digital first responders. They helped me get information about where to call if I was having symptoms. They told the story of my loved one who died. They told the story of, of the hospital workers who were heroes in my neighborhood. They were there, you know, sending me updates on my phone and updates in my email. And I knew what was happening in my community, even though I was stuck inside my home because of them. I, I hope people look back and remember that. And I hope that realization helps lead to a very sh- quick shift in how journalism is funded. Um, in the UK, obviously, there's been you know funding through the government for a long time. In the United States, that's something that we've looked at increasing here. We've looked at increasing philanthropy here. Um, we've been looking at increasing membership programs and different ways to support journalism. And I really hope that looking back, like whatever is going to happen over the next several months, I hope it also has a business impact. I hope that people realizing how critical journalists were during this pandemic leads them to understand that this is 
a critical infrastructure that needs to be supported in similar ways that a library needs to be supported or other civic institutions get support. I hope that this is a changing point where people start to look at journalism like that. The Center for Cooperative Media is holding a two-day virtual summit on collaborative journalism on May 14th and 15th. To find out more, visit centerforcooperativemedia.org. That's center spelled C-E-N-T-E-R. You've been listening to JLab, a podcast brought to you by the Civic Journalism Lab in association with Newcastle University. I'm Ian Wiley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>